Good morning, everybody. You awake? Yeah? Good deal. It's good to be with you. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 15 today as we conclude our series on the I Am Statements of Jesus. And I want you to know something. I would be in dereliction of duty, and um, I would not be doing what I'm supposed to do as a pastor or as a man of God without doing this every Sunday we come here. It's just raising the flag high for Jesus because he is everything that we could hope for and need. In him, as we look through these I am statements, we've learned that he's the bread of life. He is that which satisfies us and satisfies us eternally, giving us life. We have seen that Jesus is the light of the world, that he gave sight to the blind man, and he can give spiritual sight to those who are blind. We've seen this, that we've seen that Jesus is the door of the sheep. He is the way in. We've also seen he's the good shepherd. He cares for his own people, even to the point of laying down his life for them. He seeks, the, he seeks the one who is strayed away, and he calls him back home. We've seen that Jesus is the resurrection of, and the life, and we've seen that when he talked to Lazarus. And Lazarus was dead, and everyone was crying and mourning, and Jesus wept over the sin and the destruction of death. And he, he speaks, he says, Lazarus, come out, and he says to these folks, and he shows to those folks who were there that he is the resurrection and the life. And though a person dies, if they believe in Christ, yet, that, yet shall they live. And it is as sure as he is risen that we will be risen and have life in Christ. And then he goes on to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and he is the only way. That's why we raise the flag so high. There is only one way to know God. There is only one way to peace with God. There is only one way, and that is Jesus. And he is everything. He is God, the God-man. He is the sacrificial lamb. He is the one who can atone for sins. Jesus and Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. And he's in the upper room with his disciples when we, when we left it last time. And he has gone through and they've shared the supper. And he, they know the person is going to betray him. And they move out and they leave and they head to the garden. Of, they're on their way to the garden of Gethsemane. And I guess as they walk and talk, these are the words spoken in John 15. John 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. But listen, abide in me, and I in you. As the branch can't bear fruit, by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And this is important, for apart from me you can do nothing. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and you prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you have kept my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no, no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. 
No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know his, ma- his master's doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in the Father, in my name, he will give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Now, I can just imagine this for a second. Have you ever been around a person who just talks over your head? Like maybe it's a, you know, I've had professors or somebody's talking about physics and you're just like, I don't get it, okay? That is a mouthful. And they're, on, they're walking. They're on their way. They're moving, right? So they're walking and he's just gone, I'm the vine, you're the branches. My father's the vine dresser. You're in me. You didn't cho- I chose you to bear fruit. You got to imagine these guys, their heads are spinning because they've just left the upper room. He's washed their feet. That was an interesting thing in and of itself. And they said one of them was going to betray them. He says, don't, don't lose heart though. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Where are you going? We don't get it. Now let's walk and talk. And they're walking and talking and he drops this bomb. Okay, can you slow that down? Thankfully, here, here's what we have. We have Jesus even telling him, like, you're not going to get this now, but when I go and I send the Spirit, he's going to remind you of all the things I said so you can put them down for the people who will follow me later to know. Thank God. The Spirit is like the cheat sheet for the disciples. There was a I had class in college where they would let you take in an index card full of information for the test. And you better believe I was writing in on a micron level, okay? I mean, I got the thinnest pencil I could find. I was like, all right, put all of my notes on this one card. And that's what the Spirit is like. Here, let me help you. And so today, I hope we, the Spirit will help us see something. I want you to get this and get it clearly. The reason we have gone through the I Am statements is Jesus, who he is, defines who we are. Who Jesus is defines who we are. And in him, it's the greatest question you can ask is, who is Jesus? What does it mean? He, he, is, he is the pivotal person in history. There's been a lot of important people, a lot of influential people, but Jesus is the pivotal point in history. And he is calling out his people to follow him, to believe in him. He called his first disciples, and through their witness and through the Spirit, he's calling others to follow him. And now if we are here to follow him, we need to understand that he is the true vine. And if we are to come after him, or if you're in this situation where you're still not, you're here and you're still not convinced, I want you to see yet again that Jesus is all he's cracked up to be. And it begins in verse 1, and he says this, and this is our major point today. You need to know this and leave here with this. That if you left with one thing, get this. Jesus is the true vine. Where do you get that? Well, it's in the first verse. It's not rocket science, right? Verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Jesus says, I am the true vine. You got to think about this. They left the upper room. They'd be walking around. In this time, there would be olive groves, olive trees, and there would have been uh, vineyards all around. And so if you think about, have you ever bought grapes at a store? Just think grapes for a minute, because grapes come off of a vine. And, you, and here's, that's one of the only things, like most of the time, our, our food is like very prepackaged and sanitized. And like the meat we get, it's like, it even has that little pad in there that sucks up all the juices in the blood, right? So we don't have to see that, okay? Are you familiar with that? Have you been to a, a supermarket before? Everybody looking like, I don't know what you're talking about. You know what I'm talking about. You buy meat. And usually that big hunk of red meat would be swimming in blood, Okay, because they they killed an animal to get that. Okay, it still amazes my son sometimes. Like, 
a pig makes pork chops and ham and bacon. I said, yes, it's a glorious creature that the Lord made clean in the new covenant so we can eat it, okay? It's delicious. And you see this, this the grapes are one of those ones, those, one of those things that we still have a trace of nature when we see it because it's connected to the little branches that produce the fruit. And so they're walking through this area and they would have seen these things around, these vines and these vineyards, but also... In Isaiah chapter 5 and throughout the Old Testament, the, the people of Israel, the God's people, were referred to as a vineyard or as branches. We use this all the time. And so here's the deal. Especially in Isaiah chapter 5, if you want to go check it out, they, they were, the, Israel never lived up to what God told them to be, ever. He said, you're going to be my light to the nations. You're going to be this thing where everybody can see you and see my glory. And there was times where Israel did really well, and usually it was right after God saved them, okay, like from something big. Like, we're in trouble in Egypt, okay? And what happens? Like, God brings them out, and then you see the faith, and then all of a sudden, we've been out here too long, okay? Let's work. Let's make idols. Moses went up the hill, okay? So they get all their gold, and all that gold was plunder, was treasure that God had given them. And what do they do? They put it together, and they make this idol, and they worship the idol, and then they're like, oh, no, we did wrong. And then this cycle continues, and so Israel never lived up. They were supposed to be this vineyard for God, that, that, and we know that, that Jesus says, I'm the vine, but he says in the same verse, he says, my father is the vine dresser, which means the farmer, which means the person who's in charge of the vines, which means the person who's planted and kept it, and he's going to reap the benefit of this. And so Israel, in, in, in the Old Testament imagery, is, is this people of God. And they were supposed to bear fruit, which means to make Christ known, to, or make God known, to make him glorified, to make him seen as great. But you know what happened? Israel was a big bowl of disappointment. Just disappointment. But Jesus, when he says he's the true vine, he's not just saying, he's saying this. He's, he's saying, I am, everything that Israel did wrong, I did right. I fulfilled even what Israel couldn't do. I am this new vine that's going to bring glory to God, the vine dresser. I'm this one that's going to produce fruit, and you guys are going to be connected to me, you believers, you disciples. You're going to be connected to me, and you're going to be part of this producing fruit, which is going to bring glory to God. And everywhere that Jesus, everywhere that Israel failed, Jesus succeeded. He is the true Israel. He is the true one of God. And every way you failed, Jesus succeeded. Never sinned. And he is this true vine. He is this one who's come to bring glory to God and to bring other people to him to bring glory to God. Here, let me tell you something. You weren't created for anything else but to know God and to glorify him forever. I just want you to, I, we've said it before. You may already got that, but you need to know it. Because we like to say it, and you listen to the sports talk radio, or you, you know, I was just made to play football. No, you weren't. Yes, I know. You're six foot five, and you got a cannon for an arm. I know that, but you weren't created to throw a football. I'm glad you can. I like to watch you do that, unless you're on the other team that I don't like, and then I don't want you to see it, okay? I probably want you to be knocked out of the game, okay? I'm just being honest. Don't, no, no permanent injury, just for the game you're playing my team, okay? Let's go out. You weren't, they weren't created for that. They were created for the glory of God, and you can use those things that you were made for to, to glorify God, but you were created for the glory of God. You weren't created for anything else. That's why when we find, try to find our identity in so many different things, it's always a disappointment. It really is. You find your identity in your career, what happens? You lose your job. Or better yet, or 
you keep the job and you gain a lot of money and then you just get bored with it. Anybody ever been bored? Well, you're busy, but you're bored. You weren't created for that. You were created for God and his glory. We see it over and over again. You've seen those Ancestry.com commercials, okay? And my dad and I were talking about this all this time, and this guy's wearing a kilt, and he says, I thought I was Scottish my entire life, and so we were doing all these Scottish things. And then I realized we're German, and so then I changed to Lederhosen, and now I'm happy. I'm like, are you crazy? You've never been to Germany or Scotland. You might like pretzels, but a lot of people do. You might think cuckoo clocks are great, but so do a lot of other people. You get it? When you try to find your identity anywhere else, it's just a broken cistern. It's just a nothing, and Jesus is the true vine. The Father is the vine dresser, and he is the one. Jesus is bringing great glory to God by producing fruit, and the fruit of Jesus' ministry are the ones who are going to be called out of darkness into light. And so we see, I want you to get this, Jesus is the true vine. And as the true vine, Jesus is the lifeline. Go on and look on with me. Verse 2. See, I'm telling you, this gets real heavy real quick. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, which is a normal, if you're thinking agricultural, agriculturally, it's true. You got this big branch that is not producing fruit, and the rest of the tree is producing fruit, or the rest of the vine is producing fruit, a good farmer. And listen, I don't know a lot about farming. You probably could tell that, okay? But this is just common sense, okay? And this is common to figure out. I just want to be clear because I'm going to be like waxing eloquent about farming and you're going to be like, how do you know? Okay, I'm just saying like just the general knowledge base. If it's not working, you cut it off and usually what happens to a healthy plant is more shoots grow off that will produce fruit. And so there's something wrong. And so here is the deal. You got Jesus identifying characters in his analogy, okay? And so he is the true vine. Everywhere Israel failed, he's going to succeed in producing fruit for God. Who is the vine dresser owns it? God the Father, okay? And we see this, that every branch, so there's two different types of branches here. There's a branch that produces fruit and a branch that doesn't produce fruit. There's a branch that abides in the vine and a branch that doesn't abide in the vine. In verse 2, it says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So just be real clear. Jesus as the line, the vine for the branches, is a lifeline. If a sign of health is producing fruit in a fruit tree, for fruit not to be produced shows that there's something wrong. And so here's the idea of the Father. If there is somebody who claimed, and then you need to hear this really, really clearly. If there's someone who claims to be a Christ follower but has no discernible fruit or evidence of Christianity, evidence of a changed life, evidence that they follow Jesus, there is no reason to believe just because they make profession or go to a building on Sunday morning that they have been converted and are truly a part of the vine. Because here's the thing, every branch that does not produce fruit is removed. And this is a this is judgment because we're going to go down to verse 6. It gets a little bit harsher. Look in verse 6. I want to make sure you hear it, see this. If anyone does not abide in me, you're not bearing fruit, you're not abiding, you're not remaining in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. 
That doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. It's very important that you just you 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 take seriously the who Jesus is and your relationship to him because if you're not in him you won't produce fruit and if that's the case the father will cut you off which is the sign of judgment and because of that we have this image of sticks being gathered that have been cut off vines they've dried up and what's going to happen they're going to go into the rubbish heap and they're going to be be burned and that's a, obviously an, an image towards eternal judgment and that's true Apart from him, apart from being connected to him, you won't bear spiritual fruit. You won't be connected to God. Who, you won't be connected to God through Jesus, who he's the way, the truth, and the life, and you will suffer punishment. You need to hear that. It's the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, so whoever he spoke is true. That is true. It's not easy to hear, but it is true. It's not something we, we rejoice in, but it's the facts. And so Jesus is this lifeline. And if you're not connected to him, by faith, and you're not remaining in him by faith and his work in you, you're apart from him. So here's the thing. You've heard this all the time. Don't judge me. Who are you to judge me? Don't, don't judge me. Only God can judge me. By the way, that's a really bad phrase. Because if only God can judge you, he knows everything about you, and there ain't no lawyer in the world going to take you on. I ain't winning that case, bro. <laughs> You're on your own if he's doing some self-representation before God as judge. And so here's the thing. There is an element of judgment that is okay, especially if you claim to be a Christ follower. You're opening yourself up to that. Now, there are people who harshly judge, and there are hypocritical judges, but those who are truly in the faith, they look at other people, and they, and they say, I'm a believer, but their life shows no discernible change, no signs of new life, no following of Christ is seen in that life. It is okay to say, hey, you might want to check yourself before you wreck yourself. You're headed down to this, this level where you're not in him, and there's, there's a judgment coming, a gathering and a burning, a destroying you need to see that. So just, just as clear as day, because you're going to run into people all around town who are just going to tell you all the time, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Who's your pastor? I'm not sure. That's a really good one. Who's your pastor? I don't know. And even if they know the name, when was the last time you went? Uh, 1974 it was a good year for me. I went four times then. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not throwing shade, but what I am saying is that to be a Christ follower is to follow Christ. And to abide in him is to abide with the people that he loves. Even though those people that he loves aren't always lovely. And so we see Jesus is the lifeline. Apart, if you're in him, you bear fruit. And then he goes on to this. And this is another thing. Because these, these, these men, there's, it, there's 12 people he's talking to. Well, one is gone. The one is gone. He's being, he's being cut off. He's talking about Judas. You know, he's going to betray Jesus. And 11 are with him. And so we see this, that he's going to talk to those ones who are bearing fruit, but what the, vine, what the vine dresser does in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. And pruning is the removal of certain parts of a branch so that it might be more fruitful in the long run. And I want you to know this, that is God's MO. And these guys are about to be pruned. You know how? They're going to see their, their Christ, their Messiah, the one who they've seen, they're going to see him taken, and it's going to defy their understanding, and he's going to be crucified. And he is going to be, and they're going to be scattered. 
the shepherd's going to be struck and they're going to be scattered. And then Peter's going to deny the one who was all like, I'll follow you wherever. Let's, let's hack some people up with swords, okay? That guy is going to turn and deny him. There's going to be, they're running everywhere. They're going to flee. And Jesus is going to be largely left alone as he dies on the cross. They're about to be pruned. Not only that, after that happens and he is resurrected, they're going to be pruned by the ministry that God's called them to, where they're going to spread the gospel to the nations, and they're going to go everywhere, and most of them end up dying as martyrs. They're pruned. God worked on their lives, and he does that, and I want you to see this. And this is one of the things that is helping me. And we We could do two things, okay? We could tell you lies. We could tell you the truth. Lies make you feel good at first, but they ultimately turn out to be broken, Truth makes you feel bad at first, usually, and then leads to joy in the end. I want you to get this. If you follow Jesus, you probably won't be happy, wealthy, and wise. Not like in the world standards. You probably won't drive a Bentley. Your life won't be all sunshine and rainbows. That's just the case. However, you have a life that will sustain you, and then you can also see a purpose in everything that comes your way. Because God is either, he's pruning you, He's disciplining you. He's making you more like him. So whatever happens, from death to illness to difficulty to family strife, he is at work in it, pruning us, making us to bear more fruit for his glory, and there's ultimately a purpose in it. If we go the other way theologically, you know what it means? Every time you do something bad and something bad, or every time something bad happens in your life, it's because you weren't walking in favor. Whatever that means. It means that you didn't have enough faith. It means that, boy, there's something you need to check your life out. (laughs) That, you know what that makes us do? That's like staring in the mirror and seeing just blemishes probably done that before I mean, in high school you remember them you were i don't know what happened it was like you were rocking huge zits at least i was and it would always happen right before right before something big and it would not be a regular zit it would be like one of those like beneath the skin ones that made you look like a unicorn you know like it like there was legitimate height coming off of your forehead <laughs> okay and that's what it's like because every time you have something bad happens in your life you're like it's my fault i didn't have enough faith i wasn't walking in favor and then the other side which is a bible side is saying no he's pruning and he's working and he's making me more fruitful and that's the way you can handle it because you know you're not the life's not out of control he's just it's under control and he's just letting he he's working in you I just want you to see that, that he's the vine, he's the lifeline. Apart from him, there is no life. And then also, he's the power source. As the true vine, Jesus is the power source. Look with me in verses 3 through 8. He says, already you're clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And so here he's saying, he's, you are believers. This particular statement of I am the vine, is, and several of them have been to those who have not believed. This one is particular. He's saying, I'm speaking to you, disciples. You're clean. The word of God, my words, you have believed it, and because of that, you know forgiveness and cleansing. Verse 3 says that. Already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Verse 4, he says, abide in me. We don't use that word very often, and if you do use the word abide, it might get a little awkward. I mean, we sing it a lot, and I mean, it's a Bible word. It's okay to use it, but if I were to like, if I were to call a friend up and ask him to come up and visit us in Nashville, and I said, "Hey, come and come and abide with us," 
That would be an awkward conversation. Just come on abide, man. Just come on abide for a couple of days, and then you can leave, okay? That, that would be weird, right? Okay, barely use those words. That's fine. I, you're just very educated people who love to tell people to abide with you. But this is the idea of remaining, of staying here. And so he says, listen, remain in me and I in you. And there's this mutual indwelling, and he's been talking about the Spirit. And so here's the beauty. We remain in the teachings of Jesus. We abide in them, and he abides in us through the Spirit. This is who's coming, who's being sent. He's talking about it in this passage. And we have this mutual indwelling. I love, uh, there, was a, there, was a, there was a pastor that uh, was influential in my life, and he said one time he went and he got, he got, a, got a massage, and the lady's like, you actually have no stress whatsoever which is not me. I guess I'm not as surrendered <laughs> as this guy is, all right? So he's rubbing his back, and he looks at the, he looks at the lady giving the massage, and he goes, that's because I got someone living inside of me. And she was like, <gasps> He didn't explain it, which I love. But he's talking about the Spirit of God. That's really, you freak somebody out. I got someone living inside of me. Don't do that, I guess. <laughs> okay, I don't know, but I just thought that was an interesting point. He said, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by, uh, let's see this, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Think about those grapes. Those are the branches that produce the fruit. Apart from the vine, they will wither and die, and that branch will become if you've ever if you ever left grapes in your fridge for three months, which I've never done, <clears throat> um, you see them shrivel up, and you see that vine that, that once was green and flowing with life is no longer there. Why? It's not connected to the root source that went down to the nutrients in the water that was needed in the soil to make those things produce. And what happens is it, will, it shrivels up and dies. And so here is the idea. He is the power source. If you remain in him, you'll produce fruit. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. You can't bear fruit spiritual fruit, which means that you can't lead others to God. You can't glorify God. You can't obey unless you are connected to Jesus. Anything good you can do, it has to be connected to him. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. He is that power source, and anything spiritually of consequence or goodness has to come from us being in Jesus. There was a couple of months ago where we had, right before Sunday service, we, a bunch of us almost had heart attacks, and here's what happened. We come here, we go to turn on the sound system, and nothing, like nothing. That won't work. This isn't a table. These are subwoofers. <laughs> These don't work. That doesn't work. We're freaking out. We're running around. We're in the back. We're checking all of, of the breakers. Maybe we, maybe we just got it too loud in here. We checked those breakers. There's another set of breakers, which we had to find, which wasn't fun. And then we finally found them. We're like, oh, my gosh, it took us 20 minutes to find the other set of breakers. We've got it under control here, you can tell. And so we were running around just like crazy, trying to find what was wrong. We prayed. In fact, we was because everybody's getting kind of, you know, when you get everybody gets a little nervous, you know, it's like getting ready for church, you know. Everybody's like trying to go, and then be, because one, one person says something like, can I have a Pop-Tart? Like, no, I'll kill you. Get in the car. You know, that, that's what was happening, this, this heightened sense of of terror that 
that it's going to, and we're like, we're going to have to sing a cappella, okay? It's going to be all right. We're just going to have to get it. We're going to kumbaya it. We'll circle up. And so we, we, grab, we grab each other. We start praying because we're about to cut each other, I think, at some point. We were like, please, Jesus, help us. And then I believe it was Kevin. If it's not Kevin, I'll give Kevin credit. He's like, can we make sure it's plugged in? Well, it's usually plugged in. We had unplugged them as opposed to flipped off the switch, which we usually do. And because it wasn't plugged into the power, it would not work. Thanks, Kevin. He's an engineer, if you can't tell. And what happened? It worked. And it produced sound. And a crisis averted. And you guys might not have known that happened, but we did. <laughs> My shirt did from the sweat. I mean, it was evident. The pow- Without the power, there can be no fruit. Without being plugged into Jesus, the lifeline, there is no spiritual fruit that you can produce. We need to know that. Remember that as a church. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Apart from him, we can't obey as we ought. Apart from him, we can't produce good things. We must remain in him as the power source. Not only is the power source, but because when we remain in him and we, we, we continually abide in him, which we're going to talk about just a little bit, just kind of take that a little step further, what that means. We also have answered prayers. We're connected into a God who answers our prayers. And so we see that going on in verse 15. It's in verse 7. It says, if you abide with me and my words abide in you, Whatever you ask, whatever you wish, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And so here's, if, you, if you're abiding in me and you're remaining in me, if you, you can ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, some of us are thinking, woo, okay? That got a little out. I realized I had a microphone on as I was doing that. My apologies. I'll let you guys know beforehand. No, I won't. It's just going to happen. So here's the deal. You think about this. I'm going to ask for what he said. If I ask for whatever I want, I'll get it. Lord, give me the lottery numbers. Lord, heal this person. Lord, we need a new car. Just let it show up. Let me get on the prices right or something. I don't know. I need a new I need a new coach. A, okay. I gotta have it. What's the key? Abiding in him, remaining in him. You ask and you will receive. And so let, let me make this really clear. He won't give you something that will be detrimental to your soul. And if you're remaining in him, you're going to ask for things that are good for your soul. And you're going to always ask these things with this, with this underlying current of your will be done. It's where you have to be. Like you remember, I, you probably brought this, we brought this up. We prayed and we asked God to open a door for this building. Guess what? The door seemed like it shut. You know what? I gave myself 24 hours when I knew this might happen. So I'm going to sulk. I'm going to go, and I'm going to cancel my plans, and I'm just going to be mad for a while, and I'm going to sit there like, you can't believe it, okay? That's how I get mad. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> I wish it was. 
Okay. That's what I thought I was going to do. And then, funny enough, I heard about it, and then the next day I had to preach, I am the good shepherd, and he leads his people in and out to find pasture. And I was like, you can't do that. I wanted to be mad, and I literally couldn't be angry. And I can get angry, okay? Ask my wife. She loves me, but she hates to watch me drive, okay? Pray for me, okay? And I just remember this, and I was like, and underlying cards, your will be done. You got something better. You have it. You're going to lead us in and out. You're going to help us find pasture. If we don't need that, if we need to do something else, it's your will. And we're asking, we say, we believe. We want to do everything we can to honor and glorify you. And our prayers come, come to to fruition when we pray, pray that will be done and we pray and we ask in there and we know when he says no and he does say no. It's like last night we had donuts and then we went to, we ate a sandwich after donuts because that's always what you do, right? And we were at the place to eat sandwiches and my son asked, can I have a cinnamon roll? And we were like, no! First off, he would never sleep again. It'd be 3.30. And he'd be like that. Also, it's bad for his body. So we said no. We'd be giving it to him. We would have been insane. Here, have some diabetes, okay? Enjoy. It's not good. He gives us what? He is the lifeline. He is the source of answer. Prayer. Pray that will be done. We have to remain in him. Remaining in him is the key. Going on in verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And here's the beauty of this. As the Father loves the Son, the Son loves us, and we're connected together. I just think about that. The, the, the triune God, the three God and the three persons in one, the way they have love amongst themselves is the way that God loves us. He loves you, and that means when you're going through something, he loves you in it. Those dark nights, he's, he loves you in it. The joys, yes, he loves you. You can tell that and you know that. But even in the darkness, he loves you. And this love is, is, is a heightened love. And so we go on, we see in verse 10, if you keep my, and now here's the deal. We've worked, used the word abide a bunch. And I want to help us here because he helps us understand what abiding means. If we abide in him, if this is important, we abide in him, we remain in him by faith, and we'll bear fruit this way, and we ask, it's important for us to know what it means to remain in him. And first and foremost, I want us to know this, and this is something that was pointed out in a commentary that I recently read about this passage. There is an emphasis here on remaining, and remaining means communion. Not communion like we're talking about here of, of doing you know this Um, you know, the bread and the juice. That is not what we're talking about. Communion is a mutual relationship. And so here is the thing. When he is saying, remain in me, he is saying, foster a relationship with me. Now that is seems difficult because Jesus is a sin and he's at the right hand of the Father, but he did send the Spirit. And we can truly commune with God and we can know God through his word and through his Spirit working in us. Now, I want to be very clear about something. That communing with Jesus is not akin to Holy Ghost goosebumps. I went to, I've heard several around this area putting all their hope and faith and trust in a one-time experience they had. I remember 
On that day, I'm sitting in church, and I got the Holy Ghost goose pimples ran right up my spine, into my hair follicles, and I knew I was, I was a believer. That's not in the Bible. What do you trust in your experience? It's ridiculous. Your experience has changed. Each one of us can have different experiences. I could go to a restaurant and have a wonderful meal. You can go to a restaurant and have a cockroach in your meal. We have, <laughs> we have two different experiences. And we think our experiences is the end-all, be-all here. But truth supersedes experience. Now, yes, there will be an experiential nature to it. But it doesn't mean you're going to have some cataclysmic moment of conversion or anything like that. It's usually one, it, it can be as simple as this. At once you did not believe. And now you believe. You are at one point where you understood the facts, and you even ascended to them, and you even showed up, and you didn't understand why you were coming to church. You didn't get it at all. But one day, the facts not stopped becoming facts and started to become the story of your life. I was lost. My sin was a burden. And now I know a freedom from the burden that is Christ. And so this remaining, so here's how you can remain in him is commune with him. How we do that? Slowing down, running to his word, running to prayer, thinking on the things of God, meditating. Meditation in the Bible is different than Eastern meditation. Eastern meditation, and you've seen it in movies and other things, is the home, and it's trying to clear your mind. Don't do that. Don't. That's not good for you. It's really not. Because if you clear your mind, who knows what can run in, okay? But the meditation in the Bible has the idea of continually thinking about and, and thinking about the Word of God and letting it abide and remain in you. To sit down, to think about what Christ has done, to take a moment, to change your life, to make that. How many of us make time for other things, but we do not make time to really try to commune with God? We really don't. And we, we say, man, man why, why does my relationships feel so thin? I've said it to myself a million times. Why? It's because I'm just so busy and I'm not sitting and abiding and working on a relationship with God. And we know this, that if we draw near to him, if we draw near to him, he'll draw near to us. We learned it in James, and that's our theme for this year. It's crazy. If we, if we draw near, he'll draw near. That's, it's insane. The God of the universe will draw near if we do that. And so it's, it's at first communion. And here's, here's, here is something that we need to understand and see. A lot of times we see Christianity as nothing on focusing on, it's like self-help with, with a little bit of redemption tacked on. But I want you to get this. Instead of focusing on our self-effort and avoiding negative behavior, like, I will not lust today. I will not yell at my neighbor today. I will not kill him in my heart when I'm driving. I will not, I will not be mean, okay? I will not do these things. Instead of focusing on not doing those things, not doing the negative behavior, what if a believer would concentrate positively on nurturing his or her spiritual communion with Christ? What difference would that make? It would be the difference of me going, I have to honor my father and mother. I have to honor my father and mother. I have to honor my father and mother without ever really gaining a relationship and continuing a relationship with them. It would be very hard to do it without that. Or the same with, the same with, um, with, with a, a marriage relationship. There was a, 
I was at my grandmother's house this week, and <laughs> she was watching Andy Griffith. You ever seen that show before? She's watching, like, it's a marathon. Like, 70 episodes came on in a row. And we're at this one where these two people, where the husband and wife were just fighting at each other the whole time. And, and Andy made them, like, say positive things to one another the whole time. And it was, it was interesting, okay? And it was like, now it changed the thing. It's the thing. If you developed a relationship with your spouse... It, you won't have to say, I need to be faithful. I need to be loving. If you continue in the relationship, what happens? You are faithful and loving. And that is the thing. If we take the onus off of us, if we take this off and we say, Christianity is not about sin avoidance first and foremost. It's about God enjoyment and knowing God. It changes and flips the script. Because what's our number one goal is to know God, to be near to God. And you know what will be a byproduct of that? is sin will become more and more a thing that we don't want to do. Doesn't mean it won't be there. Doesn't mean that it won't ha- still have some of those, those, those pins in us and some of those draws. But it means that as we grow closer to him, we will want sin less and less. And then it goes on to say, and we'll, we'll, be, we'll be brief here. In verse 9 it says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And here is this. If you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandment. So remain in me. How do you abide? You remain. You, can, you continually work on that relationship. Secondly, then you keep my commandments. That's what it means to remain in Jesus. That's why, that's why we're saying if you're saying you're a believer, you're part of the vine, you're producing fruit, okay, but you're not keeping his commandments, you're lying to yourself. It's a part of abiding is obeying the commandments. And then it goes even further. Verse 11, these things I've spoken to you that your joy might be full, might be in you, and that your joy may be full. So here's the thing. He's not telling us to keep his commandments to be a killjoy. He is saying, know me, remain in me, keep my commandments, and I'll give you joy. There's more joy in God than there is joy in sinning. It's hard for us to believe that, but it's true. Verse 12, this is my commandment. So he goes on further. So abide. How do you abide? Keep the commandments. Not only that, and here's one of my major commandments. In verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. That kind of goes counterintuitive to what we think. First off, it might be, if you love me, keep my commandments and tell everybody about it. That is not first and foremost. That's important. He does say that later. But he says that we should love one another. That as believers, we should love one another. This is what it means to abide in Christ. I I was at a... I, I, one of the first churches I served in was in Panama City, Florida, and it was First Baptist Church of Parker. Church no longer exists, so I can, I can talk about it now. And here's, I know why it didn't exist anymore. We hired this lady to be a secretary. We hired her off, off the street. She had a meth problem, and she had gone to rehab, and she needed a place where only people she knew were people who were on meth. And so our pastor allowed her to come in and be our church secretary. She was a great church secretary. But it was sad because sometimes she saw some things about church that were not good, especially this. There was a group of deacons who would not serve with other deacons for the Lord's Supper, communion, or any other thing. And so there was this running list, and it was a chart of who could serve with who. Now, first and foremost, when I found out about this, I'm 20, and I, it just took me to like, I'm, I'm a go-getter at that. I mean, just like, let's confront this right now. I'm like, this is sin. It's awful. How can we? This is going on? What are you doing? Why do we have a chart? You were thinking about this sin so much you made a chart to help it. 
No wonder that church died. Everybody hated each other. And the root, the root of hate is starts with a little bit of unforgiveness. Especially in church. Inevitably, the Lord, when he brings a congregation of people together, if we're really treat, preaching the gospel, we're going to be different people. Different areas, different socio, socioeconomic backgrounds. But here's the thing. We're all united by one thing. This belief in the gospel and a changed life. And you've got people from over here, people from this part of the country, people from this part of the country, people from this background and that background. And what happens is the Lord brings all these component parts together in a church that is is a growing church and a good church is a diversified church. And because of that, we are, there is going to be friction. Not because of the gospel, but because of how different we are. Some are from the north and some are from the south. Some are from the west and some are from the east. Some have lived in the same place for their entire life. And some have moved recently to the area. They have different customs, different things that they are accustomed to doing, different ways of approaching people. And here's what can happen. If we don't love one another and we don't, we're not keeping Christ's commandments and we're not abiding in him, we can let little, small, unresolved unforgivenesses manifest itself into hard-heartedness and become cancerous inside a church. And because of that, then people won't see Christ in us as we proclaim Christ out to them. And that cannot be so. And so I want to encourage us all to know this, that to remain in Christ doesn't just mean to just foster affections for him. It doesn't just mean to keep the commandments. It means this one particular commandment particularly is to love one another. And the loving one another involves bearing one another's burdens. Loving one another involves seeking to forgive and seeking out forgiveness. Loving one another involves repentance. Loving one another involves putting up with that person, not just putting up with them, but loving them in their craziness. And also to look at their craziness and to see your own craziness. And know this, there's there's no reward if you love those who love you. What's the great reward to love your enemy? Oh, church, God has many things for us to do, many good works planned for us, but it all starts with this. We must abide in him and he in us. And if we abide in him and we foster that, then we'll keep his commandments and we will love one another. We won't be perfect. We'll still, have our, we'll still be that rub. When we get together and we do something and we're all crammed in one spot, there's inevitably someone's going to make you mad. You might want to drop kick them. I get it. Okay? And if you do drop kick them, apologize immediately. Repent. Okay? Maybe give yourself some, some or before you drop kick them, like, separate yourself. Okay? This is his freebies. Okay? And so what, I'm get, what, what we're seeing here is that abiding in him means, com- keep, means remaining, communing, keeping his commandments and loving, we kind of be a place of love. And how do people know that, that we are his disciples? It's by our love for one another. Jesus is going to say that in the high priestly prayer, high priestly prayer in, in John 17. We have to love each other. So here is the thing. I want you to focus this week on two things, communion and loving. Communion and loving. Communing with Christ. To make one small change to sit still and to commune. And this one, if you have some issues of, of 
be forgiven. You need forgiveness. Someone else needs forgiveness. Seek to make that right. Repent. Love. Realize we're in this together. We're family. Seek to work it out. Here's all I us to do. We're going to sit here for a moment. Clint's going to come up. We're going to take communion in just a minute. But before we take communion, it's very important that we prepare our hearts for that because we know in the Scriptures that it, taking communion in a proper way can result in a lot of, a lot of bad things, including death. And so I want us to do this. If you would, bow your head, close your eyes, and I ask you just to, as you do that, just there's something about this helps us. If you just hold your hands up, if you feel okay with this, hold your hands way to receive and just as a sign and a symbol that you're God you're here to hear that you want to commune and that you're not going to hold on to sin anymore and just take a moment and just confess your heart to him before we take communion which is us coming together and communing with God and one another just take a moment and just win that posture just pour your heart out before him and as we do that I'm going to ask the communion team to come on up. Father, we're here. We confess our sins. We confess our need for Christ. Help us to abide. Help us to keep your commandments. In particular, help us love one another. Lord, if there's sin, let us lay it down before we approach you to the communion. Lord, we, we want to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're a believer, we invite you to take communion with us. We believe this is a symbol. And uh, we'll ask the, the, the team to go ahead and hand out the communion. We'll take it together in a minute. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had broken it, he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. In like manner, he took the cup, and he said, this is the, this is the new covenant in my blood. Take and drink. As often as we do it, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. God, thank you for these words. Help us to abide in them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Be off. If you would, let's stand. We're gonna we're gonna leave with these words of, of benediction. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give it to you. And these things I command you, so that you will love one another. Walk in love. You're dismissed.